We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. From 61 yards away, Joey Sly, it's up there, it's out there, and it's through there! That was a record-setting boot yesterday by Joey Sly at the end of the first half. Yeah, 61 yards, a new franchise mark, uh, eclipsing the old mark set by Graham Gano nearly 12 years ago. To the day, uh, Gano's mark was 59 yards. I actually didn't know that. Um, I had a feeling that when Joey Sly made that kick that it was the longest in franchise history. For whatever reason, I thought Steve Cox, some of you will remember Steve Cox, a kicker post-Mosley era in the 1980s, late 1980s. For whatever reason, I thought he kicked a 60-yarder at one point. But Graham Gano held the record. Uh, with a 59-yarder set uh, in a game in 2011 against the 49ers, a game that actually included another franchise mark, which still holds today. I'll tell you what that record is in a minute because this show is presented by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Mention my name. You'll get a free estimate, and they will take very good care of you. Uh, If you've been thinking about new windows because you've got old windows or they are drafty, leaky, hard to close, hard to open, you need new windows. Uh, You're going to save big time on your energy bills, certainly your heating bill this winter, air conditioning bills in the summer. Try them now. You'll get a free estimate if you mention my name. You can shop it. They're not going to pressure you into making a decision right away. But right now, if you buy two windows, you get the next two free with no limit. So if you need 12 windows, you're only going to pay for six of them. And you don't have to pay anything right now. You can wait until the year 2025 to start paying for these windows because Window Nation is offering no money down, no payments, with no interest charged for two full years. So by the time you start paying for your new windows, you will have already enjoyed the benefit of significant energy savings and your home will look better. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Been working with them for 14 years. I swear by them. They will do it right. They've done it right for so many people. 
Give them a call, 866-90NATION, or go to windownation.com. So, yes, November 6th, 2011, Graham Gano kicks a 59-yard field goal right before the half. That is the new franchise long. Um, and in that game, Roy Halu set the franchise mark for receptions in a game. Same game. 14 catches, 105 yards on a John Beck checkdown special day. Do you remember that game? It was not pretty. They really never had a chance in that game. Rex Grossman had been hurt or had been, you know, sidelined, and Beck came in in the Philadelphia game and started some of those games. Some of them were just hideous. Remember the game in Toronto against Buffalo? Um, he got sacked, I think, more than 10 times, 10 or 11 times in that game. I forget exactly what the number was. But, yeah, in the game that Graham Gano um, at the time, set the mark for a 59-yard field goal. Roy Hallou had 14 receptions. That is still um, the most in franchise history. By the way, Logan Thomas, Chris Thompson, Art Monk, Kelvin Bryant all had games with 13 receptions. They are tied for second. Logan Thomas had 13 catches on December 20th, 2020, a COVID Monday nighter against, oh, no, that was not a Monday nighter, was it? I don't think it was, against Seattle. Um, He had 13 receptions for 101 yards. So uh, one less reception, but almost, um, uh, you know, a little bit less in yardage. So it is possible to catch that many balls and not have an A.J. Brown or Tariq Hill kind of day in reception yardage. Uh, By the way, on the field goal thing, I was uh, looking at, Um, the longest field goal attempts, because we know that Justin Tucker holds the mark for 66 yards set against Detroit a few years ago. Mark Mosley, I think I've mentioned this before because I think I explained something to Cooley one day. It could have been Tommy. But Mark Mosley has the second longest field goal attempt in NFL history. Sebastian Janikowski's 76-yarder is still to date the longest field goal ever attempted. Uh, he missed it back in 2008. Mark Mosley, on November 25th, 1979, in a game against the Giants, attempted a 74-yard field goal. However, it was on a free kick situation. It was a fair catch, free kick. A lot of you don't know that rule. Again, I think I've mentioned this before, but you can call a fair catch on a punt and send your field goal team out to kick a field goal, and the opposing team is not allowed to rush. They have to sit back and watch what's called a free kick. I don't know the last time it happened. Maybe the last time it happened is when I talked about this, Um, but that rule still exists in the NFL. So it's one of those things that, you know, if you are down by three or less, and the other team has to punt with, say, you know, 10 seconds left from their own end zone, and you call for a fair catch, you have the opportunity at that point for a free kick. Uh, Mosley tried a 70-yarder in 1979 as well. That was not a free kick. Uh, that was a last play of the game attempt against uh, the Houston Oilers, actually, on opening day 1979. Uh, did you see, as, as an aside here, did you see the Oilers uniforms that the um, Tennessee Titans were wearing yesterday? They, they looked great. Those Oilers uniforms were good uniforms. 
But anyway, um, there you go. Some field goal trivia to open up the show. All right, let's get to it. Uh, This is going to be me solo today, and we're going to go pretty quickly. I want to get this out. I tried to wait to see if there was any news related to the trade deadline. There is none as we speak. Uh, Ron Rivera um, just holding moments ago his press conference and saying uh, nothing about it, saying you guys will find out whatever happens when this deadline comes and goes tomorrow at 4 p.m. Now, there was a trade moments ago in the NFL. Giants defensive lineman Leonard Williams dealt to the Seahawks for a second and fifth round selection. Now, there was a report last week uh, that John Allen, that teams had reached out to Washington about John Allen, and there were interested uh, teams and at least one team specifically that was interested in John Allen. That team, I have learned, was Seattle. I think there was another team that was interested in John Allen as well, and Washington said no. Remember, John Allen and Deron Payne are under contract. Leonard Williams, by the way, his contract runs out at the end of this year. So they got a second and a fifth for Leonard Williams, who's not under contract and a little bit older than John Allen. I wonder if Washington was offered maybe a second and a third for John Allen, second and a fourth. I mean, he's under contract through 2025, a little bit younger than Leonard Williams. I think better than Leonard Williams, although Leonard Williams is a good player. Um, But Washington, according to the reporting late last week, they were not interested in dealing John Allen. But if you, you know, were, were interested in what, you know, who was interested in John Allen and, you know, the kind of offer that would have been offered, Um, that's in the realm. I mean, maybe a little bit more, again, because of the contract situation with Allen versus Leonard Williams, but Seattle was a team uh, that uh, reached out to Washington and Washington said no. So now we sit here for the next, you know, 25 hours and we wait to see if Washington does anything before the trade deadline. I've got some thoughts coming up on that in a little bit. All right, let's get to yesterday. Um, So I want to start with just two things in this game that to me speak to, I don't want to say coaching malpractice necessarily, um, but there were two things that were massive head scratchers for me in the game yesterday. Number one was the decision or indecision by Ron Rivera not to challenge that fourth down and fourth row to Devontae Smith late in the third quarter, approaching late in the third quarter, about five minutes to go in the third quarter. Everybody on his sideline saw the ball make contact with the ground. He didn't. He said, quote, When he was asked afterwards about why he did not challenge that play, he said, because I didn't see it on the screen. I was looking up at the screen to see if there was something that could help me with it. Then I was waiting to hear somebody upstairs on if they had seen it or not. We hadn't seen the replay, so we weren't sure. They did their hurry up, ran up to the line, and snapped the ball. You almost think that in that amount of time, somebody else could have looked at it and saw if it was complete. Close quote. That was a huge play in the game, people. Huge play. And I'm not going to tell you that this was the play that decided the game, but it was one of the few plays 
in the game that decided a game that was pretty wild, actually, start to finish. Like, it was an entertaining game to watch unless you had, you know, a rooting interest, which we did, and it turned out to be not nearly as entertaining as we had wanted it to be. But this was really, I think, a major, major gaffe by Ron Rivera. And the explanation is a little bit more troublesome for me. It's fourth and four. You're up 17 to 10. The ball's at midfield. They're going to go for it. And you don't see it on the video screen. Nobody up in the box or wherever they are that have the responsibility of buzzing down or screaming into your ear, throw the challenge flag, saw it on the video screen. Now, there's no way, right, that the people in the booth have some sort of, you know, uh, they're waiting for it to be played on the video screen. They've got their own replay right there. They can hit rewind real quickly. Now, did it come quickly enough on the TV copy to see it more closely? Look, that is one of those spots, and it's a lot easier, I understand, from where we sit. Okay? Real-time, bang-bang nature of these kinds of plays. It's not as easy as we make it out to be. Uh, I understand that. I just think that there are times in games like yesterday where when you've got a half dozen to a dozen of of your players and coaches on the sideline right in front of it saying the ball hit the ground, which it did, you just throw it. It's fourth down. You get the ball at midfield if you're right, up seven. And if you're wrong... I can only speak for myself. That would have been one of those situations where I would not have had any sort of criticism for him losing a timeout if he lost the challenge. Because I didn't see it on the screen? I mean, I know the uh, you know a lot of coaches will look to the screen for some help if someone upstairs isn't buzzing down, they're looking. But, you know, again, I mean, I was waiting to hear somebody upstairs on if they had seen it or not. We hadn't seen the replay, so we weren't sure. They did their hurry up and snap the ball. You'd almost think that in that amount of time, somebody else could have looked at it and saw if it was complete. Yeah, you wouldn't almost think. You would think. Uh, you know, I we talked last week about this new analytics hire, this Eugene Shen that was hired last week, MIT, Harvard. You know, the analytics guys are coming in, and whatever. This is the beginning of the Josh Harris movement towards whatever's coming in January. Um, But it's my understanding that one of the people that has a direct line to Ron when it comes to kind of in-game decisions is this guy Doug or Dan Drury. He's their uh, analytics coordinator. I don't know for sure if he's a replay guy, but... I mean, come on, man. Somebody's got to say, throw it. Ron's got to say, throw it. I got to throw this. It's, it's, this is not one of those, I have to be sure. I think it hit the ground. Everybody thinks it hit the ground. Apparently, there's not a replay. The Eagles are sprinting up to snap the ball. It's such a big play in the game, even though it's still late third quarter and there's a lot of football to go. But because it was a fourth down conversion, you got to throw it. You've got to throw it. There was no, there was no guarantee that the play would have been overturned. Personally, I think it would have. 
I think the ball did hit the ground without total control. So I think it would have been overturned, but it wasn't, you know, a total 100% no brainer guarantee. But here is what was a guarantee. If you didn't challenge it, the Eagles kept possession of the ball 18 yards further down the field at your 28-yard line. Um, you know, the Eagles, I love him saying, well, the Eagles quick snapped, you know, quick snapped us. Um, you know, I this is not a group that, you know, is that hard to sort of do anything quick on. And that leads me to this second, you know, subject here for the open. And I just think I think it was a major whiff not to challenge that play. I think it was that big of a play. It's easier in hindsight. I totally respect the perspective of of the coach and the sideline view. It's not a TV view, but you got to have sharp guys up there and and you've got to understand how big that play was in the moment and what it meant, you know, in that game. Because if you take over at midfield up 17-10, you hadn't been stopped yet. You're probably going to build a two-score lead heading into the fourth quarter of that game. The other thing, please help me with this. I mean, is Emmanuel Forbes really covering A.J. Brown again? Seriously? I mean, I don't care how much help Emmanuel Forbes had. A.J. Brown right now is a top two to three receiver in the game, and like Tariq Hill is an offensive game wrecker. And you put a guy who got torched and then benched subsequently because of his game against A.J. Brown. I mean, he had A.J. Brown PTSD. And you told him to get back on the bike. You fell off a few weeks ago? Get back on the bike. This is not an individual sport. This is not gymnastics, you know, where you fell off the unevens. Get back up there. No, it's a team sport. You don't think the Eagles knew that Forbes, number 13, was back on the field? You know he was only on the field for five defensive snaps? Um, And the damage on two of those was considerable. The Eagles, when they saw him out there covering A.J. Brown, wait a minute, that's not, that that can't, it is. It's 13. The guy we torched a few weeks ago. Has Jack lost his mind? And by the way, good football teams, and I think a lot of football teams have this, good football teams, they they know when a really great player is out. You know, example, I was listening to Peyton Manning talk about the Monday night game between the Vikings and the 49ers last Monday night and how the Vikings had a complete set of plays that they would go to when Nick Bosa exited the game. It would They would never run that, those plays when he was in the game. It was plays for when Nick Bosa left the game. And the opposite of, of that is true. When you are attacking somebody's weakness, if such and such is in the game, then we go from that play call to one of these play calls. The Philadelphia Eagles had to be shocked to see Emmanuel Forbes covering A.J. Brown. And when the shock wore off, the laughter, I'm sure, ensued. 
I think eight games is way too early to declare anything on Emmanuel Forbes or this draft class. I think that's the silliest conversation a lot of us have had this year. I haven't had it. I've pushed back against those that have. I don't want to have a conversation about the 2023 draft class four games into the year, five games into the year, eight games into the year. It's silly. We've all watched football long enough to know that a lot of players that end up being really, really good players really, really struggled early in their career. All right, It's three years before you can truly evaluate uh, a draft class. Um, so we'll have that conversation, you know, in a year and a half or two, you know, a year at the earliest, two more likely. But that is a separate conversation. You know, evaluating Emmanuel Forbes after eight games, that's separate from putting him back out there as a struggling young player to cover one of the true great receivers right now in the game, a dude that is an MVP candidate after you got after he got torched by this guy a few a few weeks ago. I know A.J. Brown's great people. I've been saying this for a while when they traded for him. There were lots of arguments about A.J. Brown or Terry McLaurin. I love Terry McLaurin. He's not in A.J. Brown's class. A.J. Brown is elite. He's doing this, I understand, against everybody in the league, so it may not have been any better against anybody else, but it was almost cruel to put... Emmanuel Forbes out there. And I love competitors. I love the hell with that. He's a tough kid. He's ready to do it. We're going to put this is a team sport. This is a team sport, not an individual sport. We build up, you know, these players in situations where the team is put at less risk, not at greater risk. And that's not what Jack, Jack Del Rio did. That was a head scratcher. That was not the moment for getting Forbes back on the horse that he fell off of a few weeks ago. The moment for that against AJ Brown is, you know, somehow you're up, you know, you're up 24 points with 2 minutes to go and the Eagles are chucking it around. Put him out there then, he can't hurt you. Again, I don't I think Emmanuel Forbes has a lot of talent. I think he'll eventually make all the conversation about him probably look a little bit premature. But I don't get that at all. Forbes on A.J. Brown. He came in the first, it was a third and 11, third drive of the game for the Eagles. And I wrote on my notepad, 13 versus 11, you've got to be kidding me. 20 yards completion down to the three-yard line. So, look, yesterday to me, the decisions in the game by the head coach and the defensive coordinator were very costly. They had an 11-point lead in this game, 14-3. to Philly was totally there to be had yesterday. Some of their good players on defense were ailing a little bit and didn't get as many snaps. Jordan Davis, that monster of a man in the middle. Jalen Carter, each of them only played 17 snaps. They came off that big win last Sunday night against Miami. Washington, to to their credit, they were a hungry team. They were ready. This wasn't a Chicago or a, or a Giant game. They were ready for this one. They had a 14-3 lead, 17-10 more than midway through the third quarter. You know, they were playing well both sides of the ball through two and a half quarters. They gave up some chunk plays on defense. Don't get me wrong. Okay, the defense had a terrible day yesterday. Let me let me get that straight. But, you know, 17-10. to 10, the Eagles have no chance of running the ball at any point yesterday. 
And yeah, there were two turnovers in the red zone inside the five-yard line, which kept points off the board. But it was a good complementary effort through two and a half quarters. And then you had, you know, you had some decisions there that, that just didn't make sense. Uh, offensively, I mean, what a difference a week makes. I mean, seriously, the way this league changes week to week. And I've got a lot on that coming up in my game take. But I did, I did think Philly was was there. I thought that they were ripe for the taking. And I think Washington stepped all over there, you know what, trying to trying to take a, a, a big chunk out of them. And they had a chance to do it. Um, game had so much to it. Uh, so I will get to it with my game take starting right after these words from a few of our sponsors. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pay attention. Here's Here's Kevin's Kevin's Game game Take. The Game Take brought to you by Surfside and Surfside's Fajita Box. Good news, friends. Your favorite spot for tacos in the district is making it easier than ever to feed your family fast. Lots of family time is coming up this season, and Surfside's fajita boxes are here to make your dinners easy. On the go or on your way home, they are the best way to feed your crew with a meal everyone will love. Fajita chicken, steak, veggies, and all the fixings in a convenient grab-and-go box. 
thinking ahead, hop online to order a fajita box in advance. On the fly, fajita boxes can be ready in minutes flat and delivered straight to your door. Learn more at surfsidedc.com. I'm telling you, if you have a group over, you're going to watch Monday night football or Saturday football, or it's for the kids at dinner time. These fajita boxes that Surfside delivers, they are excellent. The steak is so good and tasty. So is the chicken. Um, got it over the weekend, actually, on Saturday as I was sitting around watching college football. Had uh, one of my sons at the house, and that's what we had for lunch and dinner. And then, yeah, Sunday morning, uh, put together a little bit of a breakfast fajita uh, with some of the leftover steak and eggs. It was very good. Um, again, uh, just go to surfsidedc.com. All right, my game take. Uh, what I liked, what I didn't like, and a few other observations. Let's start with what I liked. And there was a lot to like from this game. I mean, it starts with just the offensive plan. Eric Bieniemy. what a bounce back week. I mean, last week was that combination, as we talked about, of Bad plan, bad execution. The result was terrible. It was about as poor as a professional football team um, can play in a first half last week against the Giants. Uh, Yesterday was the complete opposite, you know, especially in the first half. It was an excellent plan. It was very high-level execution. You know, the plan was just totally different. This team has struggled, as we have talked about, you know, for many weeks. They have struggled with the pure drop-back game. You know, the five-step drop, the seven-step drop. You know, 40 sacks coming into yesterday's game on pace to shatter the NFL record before, you know, by early December. And yesterday, there were no sacks in the first half. One for the entire game on 53 pass calls. How did it happen? It happened because of, you know, what we talked about last week, what we talked about after the Denver game, what we talked about after the Philly game in Philly. This quarterback is at his best with an offense that is quick game oriented. Quick game passes, three-step drops ball, three-step drop balls out, screens, rollouts or dashes or sprint outs. And when you do drop Sam back, do it in do it on first and ten. Use play action. Use more medium and max protection. It's so obvious, okay, after eight games, that Sam Howell can do a lot of really good things, but there's a certain style as of now that he is at his best when that style is employed. When the play is designed for the ball to come out quickly or if he's outside the pocket on the move, he's pretty damn good. You know, it's so obvious after eight games. His offensive coordinator, Phil Longo, who I've mentioned many times because we've talked about Sam Howell a lot. I had Phil Longo on for the first time when... Uh, They drafted him, and I had him on last winter. He's now the offensive coordinator at Wisconsin. But he was Sam's offensive coordinator working for Mac Brown at the University of North Carolina. And he had mentioned when I asked the question, what's the best scheme for Sam Howell? He said, a West Coast scheme or any scheme where he has to get the ball out quickly. You know, he is at, at his best when you have quick 
get the ball out. His release is quick. He doesn't have to drop back into the pocket and process and read as much. And he's more prone to holding on to the ball. We know that from North Carolina. His offensive coordinator said, you put him in that West Coast scheme where the ball's getting out to playmakers on time, that's him. You know, look, eventually you've got to drop a guy back. You know, sometimes it's third and 12 and you got to have it. You know, and you can't just throw a bubble screen. Um, and you got to wait for receivers to get downfield, and you've got to throw with anticipation. But, man, what a difference. What a difference one week made. Here was just an example. I mean, it started from the jump. First drive of the game. Quick game throw. Three-step drop balls out seven yards to Samuel. Quick game throw. Three-step drop balls out to Dotson. Bubble screen to Robinson Jr., nine yards. He sprints out, rolls out, whatever you want to call it, throws a ball, defensive pass interference. Then there's this quick like pop pass or line of scrimmage throw to Terry for five yards. Then there's another bubble pass on third and five to Samuel. Didn't gain much, but at least it wasn't, you know, a a, a 12-yard sack on, on a second down play. Second drive of the game, bubble or RPO. Can't figure out what, what it was. Look, I've looked at it several times. I think it was a bubble screen. Could have been an RPO. Eight yards to Samuel. Balls out immediately. Quick game touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin. Three-step drop. Boom. 7 nothing. Washington. Third drive. Quick to Terry for nine. Roll out to Logan Thomas for eight. First and ten. I formation with a fullback in the game. Alex Arma. With a seven-man protection, and he gets the ball out super quickly to Robinson Jr. for 11 on a checkdown. Then there's a first and 10, once again, play action, six to seven-man protection, shot for Pringle that he missed on. Nothing the enemy schemed up or called changed his philosophy, which is heavy pass-to-run ratio. He had 54 dropbacks in the game, 14, 14 called runs in the game by my count. That's nearly four to one run uh, pass to run. But it was the way he game planned and called the passing game. Last week's first half, with more pure dropback, 14 dropbacks, 46 yards on 26 plays, seven punts, five sacks, zero points, and an interception. I mean, true amateur hour and never adjusted until the second half. This week in the first half, Quick game, quick game, quick game. Roll out, roll out, roll out. Screen, screen, screen. And when we're going to you know, drop them back five, you know, we're going to take a deeper drop. It's going to be off play action. It's going to be with some you know, heavy protect. And they had some heavy protect last week. I understand that. It's not what they do well, but at least they did it after they had established the quick game. 270 yards on 33 plays with zero sacks, one punt, 17 points in the first half. And once that quick game got established, you saw a confident young quarterback. All right. And you saw a, a, a defense that you were facing become a little bit frustrated. They, but by the way, how about the production in the running game? They got some production out of the running game. That wasn't the intention like it was the first time against Philadelphia in the first half, but because everything else was working. They got production out of the run game. That helps because you can't get sacked on a running play. It was just very well done. Okay, there were mistakes made in the second half, and I will get to those. But offensively, 31 points in the game, 472 yards in the game 
against an Eagles defense that is supposed to be pretty damn good, although I don't think they're very good in the back end. I think it's a flaw for them. Uh, 481 scrimmage yards, taking away the one sack in the, in the game, which came you know at the end of the game. Um, that 481 from scrimmage is the most in three years for this team. They were 7 of 12 on third down a week after going 1 for 15. The plan was a good one. The execution was great. Sam, in particular, executed very well. The receivers were getting open. This is what we should see week in and week out. I don't know what we'll get next week because we talked about this after the Denver game. We talked about this after the first Philadelphia game. Like, this is very, very clear, isn't it, to to all of you guys watching, that Sam Howell has an arm. He's got some skill with that arm. And yet there is a way in which you get the best out of him. I'm not saying that the other part of the game, which is an important part of the game, okay, drop back is a big, big, at some point, you know, if you're going to go win a Super Bowl, you're going to have to drop back on third and nine, hang hang in there, process quickly, throw with anticipation, you know, from the pocket. It's not what he does well now. You know, part of it, you know, is – vision and seeing he had another two to three balls deflected yesterday but I'll tell you what for now we don't need to see anything else we need to see what we saw yesterday because you're going to have one confident quarterback you're going to have a guy that will generate some big time results you will be able to evaluate everything else you have on offense I loved everything about yesterday again not perfect we'll get to that in the second half um, but it's the type of plan in terms of throwing the football, and I don't care about pass-to-run ratio. They moved the football, and they scored 31 points with a, a near 4-1 to uh, pass-to-run ratio. But it was the way they threw the ball. It was the way they threw it. Um, and I think if they continue to do that, David Carr's sack record might stay intact. One sack yesterday. Well done. Well done. I, I want to make this point, if I didn't make it already, I do think Philly's secondary is overrated. I think it's name recognition, Slay, Bradbury, etc. Bayard might help, you know, but they, they have not been able to cover Washington in the last couple of games, certainly in the last game. They ran the ball a lot in that Monday night upset last year, like 49 times. Um, but Washington, you know, went after their weakness – and nullified the Philadelphia strength, which is a pass rush. And when you go quick game and when you throw screens and bubbles and you use the quarterback on sprint outs, you're going to reduce that pass rush and you're going to frustrate it as well. Excellent job yesterday. A week after what I thought was a very poor job by Eric Bieniemy in the offense. Next up on the list of things that I liked, Sam Howell. All right. I know that there were moments in the second half that he'd love to have back, but let's just, you know, stick with the positive. First of all, Bienemy's approach this week, you know, obviously helped out Sam Howell. If Bienemy's going to call a game, if they're going to drop him back five five steps, seven steps with, you know, six man protect with, you know, on second and, and nine, on, you know, second and seven, on third and, and 11, it's going to be a disaster. Okay, it just is. We've seen it enough. 
You know, they, they can make some plays. And by the way, if you do give them time and you block it up, and Larson and Chris Paul were good. I'll get to them you know, here momentarily. But it was just it was it was great to see him operating in an offense that I think suits him perfectly. Um, he had one of the better days in franchise history throwing the football yesterday. He became the first quarterback since Mark Rippon in 1991 to throw for at least 390. He had 397 and at least four touchdowns. Rippon set the, t- the touchdown mark for the franchise with six touch- touchdown passes in that same game in 1991 against the Falcons in the rain at RFK. 56-17 to was the final. Uh, Hal set a franchise record yesterday with 24 completions and a half. In the first half, he was 24 of 26 at halftime for 226, two touchdowns, no sacks. He threw overall 397, 397 yards, four touchdowns, 39 of 52. He's just very good um, in the quick game. Um, he, the ball's out quickly. He's decisive. He's confident. It's accurate. Not always, but more times than not. Um, again, I mean, this is what the people who knew him said best suited him, and it would be nice if the offensive coordinator was consistent with this kind of an attack. Now, I know they'll say, look, last week we had some three-step that should have generated more, and we had some pressure, and oh, by the way, we had some max protect in there. Look, bottom line is, what you did yesterday, not because it worked, but because the ball had to come out right away. And you didn't have a guy that had to drop back into a pocket and wait for deeper downfield developing plays. There were a couple last week that didn't even have checkdowns available. Um, There were so many throws that Sam made in the game that I wrote down here that I really liked. Um, Let's just start with this. Uh, There was a third and seven on the fourth drive of the first half where he got some immediate pressure on what was supposed to be a quick throw, and then he just avoided it, rolled out calmly through a perfect ball to Dotson. There were two throws at the end of the first half before the long field goal um, by Joey Sly to Dotson that were just perfect throws. Um, on the drive that made it 24-17 to Washington in the third quarter, there were a lot of those slants that they threw. I thought he did a great job for much of the day throwing into, at times, very tight windows. But they're windows that are tight when you're watching on TV. But in that quick game, when you hit that third step, that 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 third step back, and you plant and fire, they, they have created the, the enough separation. They've created the window with the with the route concept. I loved w- the way those slants on that drive that made it 24 to 17 to Dotson and Crowder were thrown. He had a good throw to Bates on a first and 10. And the touchdown pass on third and goal to Logan Thomas was a beauty. Great timing, out quickly, a dart. So good. Big spot there, too. You know, you had to get seven, not three. He had a great touch throw to Gibson on the drive that ended with the, you know, the Terry McLaurin catchable balls. Um, The last drive, you know, he had some nice throws. Now, Philly was up 14, a little bit soft, um, but he... um, he he played. He had so many great, good plays. He had a nice third and fourth scramble for a first down in the third quarter. Uh, excellent, excellent plays. Excellent, you know, throws. 
just looked so comfortable. He wasn't perfect. He missed Pringle on a deep ball in the first half. I love that he took that shot. That was a planned shot, first and 10, play action, more max protect, medium protect. The fourth and one that they went for at the Philadelphia 35, I, I didn't have any problem with them going for it in that spot. Um, it's a near pick six by Bradbury, though. I'm not sure if he thought Terry would be in a different spot or if I don't know what happened there, but I do know this. When you go back and look at the play, nobody covered Curtis Samuel. He's wide open for a touchdown. And Sam's got time. I doubt it's his first read there on fourth and one. They're just trying to move the sticks. And he's eyeballing Terry a little bit too much. Lucky that Bradbury didn't catch it and go to the house with it. He overthrew Logan Thomas on a deep shot down the seam on their third drive of the second half. And then, you know, it was a few plays later that he threw the interception. That, that was a huge play. You know, second and 15, we've seen some of these longer distance second and third downs, him just trying to force it a bit. Remember that Buffalo game in which they were already in field goal range? It was third and 15, and he got picked trying to lob it over the the dropping um, safety or linebacker in that spot. You know, that's just – that's a ball that got away from him. He had a, he had a few balls sail on him. There's no doubt about that. Um, in a 24-24 game fourth quarter, you can't do that, all right? You got to take something easier and then try to get it on third down. Um, Look, the two balls to Terry on the third and fourth down, crucial point in the game, down 31-24. They were not great balls. The second one in particular was not a good throw. With that said, like Dotson last week, Terry McLaurin's got to come up with the football, doesn't he? The first one, I think Sam has to lead him into that open space, but I don't know. I, that's what Schlereth said. Um, so I don't know that that one um, – I don't know. I, I, that first one's a little bit more dubious for me. The, the second one is not a good ball. He's wide open, but you still got to catch it. Uh, not every, when, you, when you drop back and you throw the ball 52 times in a game, not every ball is going to be perfect. You need your top players to make plays for you. And Terry McLaurin had two opportunities and didn't come through. And then Jahan Dotson had an opportunity and did not come through. The last fourth down sack fumble, I'm not really sure. I'm not, it just looked like Wiley got beat by Reddick almost immediately. Um, I wouldn't have mind some quick game on that one. Um, you know, but that was the only sack of the game. It was a fumble, and that pretty much ended the game. I, I think Washington's um, ability with some of their players after the catch, I think we're going to see a lot more of these quick throws, line of scrimmage throws. Also, you know, throws into the medium range and taking shots, but usually off play action. And, you know, if they could run the ball like they did yesterday to a certain degree, that'll help as well. They just didn't do it a lot. Anyway, uh, it was just much more good from Sam than bad. It's really hard to give Sam Howell anything less than something starting with an A. I mean, when you throw 52 times, complete 39 of them for 397 yards, four touchdowns, and have one pick and take one sack, that's an A-minus day in my book. Yeah, there were critical errors down the stretch. And a couple of those errors, he could have been bailed out by his best receiver. 
pass prote- protection yesterday with Tyler Larson and Chris Paul in the game, it looked a lot different. But I think, again, I think the game plan and the and the quick game had a lot to do with it. But there's no doubt that it looked less leaky on the interior. Uh, Jahan Dotson had a career day, eight catches, 108 yards, and a touchdown. That third down, um, you know, that was initially called on the field as a catch, and then Darius Slay's injured, and then they called down from New York and say it wasn't a catch, which forces Ron to challenge it. It's like Ron doesn't challenge the play in the in the third quarter and then decides to challenge the play that New York has called down and changed. Okay? Um, Logan Thomas was was good yesterday. He's, he's a good receiver. Jamison Crowder, how about Crowder? Seven catches, 95 yards, that great touchdown catch at the end for um, Curtis Samuel, who hurt his toe in the game. Brian Robinson Jr., 10 carries, 59 yards, two carries, two receptions, 20 yards. He was excellent. Antonio Gibson had seven catches for 42 yards, seven touches, excuse me, for, for, for that yardage. By the way, no Chris Rodriguez in the game. Third down offense, seven for 12 after one for 15 last week. That's on my list of things that I liked. Joey Sly, of course. Um, I thought... <laughs> We'll get to the defense on the list of things that I didn't like. But, man, they have had some success shutting down Philadelphia on the ground. I mean, they completely shut Philadelphia, one of the best rush teams in the league, and Philadelphia had no chance to run the football against that front. Um, I think Washington's, you know, they're not an elite rush defense at this point, but, man, against the Eagles for some reason, 2.7 yards per carry, 22 carries, 59 yards in the game. Uh, So that's got to be on the list of things that I liked. Um, You had two red zone turnovers. That's on the list of things that I liked. I mean, I thought Cameron Curl, I mean, that strip of Gainwell. uh, By the way, um, that was Phil Mathis uh, who recovered that fumble. Um, I thought Cameron Curl actually had a good game. I really did. I think 31 just is a player. I thought Fuller looked good at times yesterday too. Um, It's hard to give many people on defense much credit when you give up 38 points in a game. Uh, But they did have two red zone turnovers. By the way, I had this tweet from Tom during the radio show. Tom wrote, why are you praising the offense so much? They didn't do anything with the two turnovers the defense got for them. Uh, I think most of you understand why. But for Tom, in case he wasn't listening to the radio show and listens to the podcast... The two turnovers the defense got were at the one-yard line and at the three-yard line, which they ended up with, with the, the ball at the seven after the fumble recovery. You don't, you don't, you're, they're not, they didn't set up the offense for easy scoring opportunities. They just prevented the other team from scoring. That was the benefit of those turnovers is that Philly didn't score inside the five-yard line. I mean, when you get a turnover from your defense and you start at your one-yard line, you're thrilled but you're not exactly expected then to turn that turnover into points starting at your own one-yard line. When you get a turnover and you start from your own seven-yard line, you're thrilled, but you're not expected to get, you know, a big drive in, in points. Um, you know, in fact, the offense set up Phillies, the, the, the Washington's turnover, and then fourth down sack fumble, which they did recover, but it was it was turnover on downs, gave Philly the ball, you know, at Washington seven for a touchdown and at Washington sixteen for a touchdown. Philly's offense did a lot 
with the turnovers and the turnover on downs that they got from Washington. Um, also on the list of things that I liked, the last thing, I thought the first half, end of first half, was you know, was the right play to be aggressive. Three timeouts, 34 seconds left. Let's go down and get some points. It's 14 to 10. We it was 14 to 3. Let's get it 17 to 10. By the way, they get the ball to start the second half. So, you know, let's try to end it with points. And, you know, they did a great job. There were good throws to Dotson. Now there was one play. There was a uh, a pass that ended with 21 seconds left. They had three timeouts and they didn't call the timeout until there were 18 seconds left. That's the kind of, you know, those are big big things. This is what this coaching staff just hasn't been great at. You know, it's like that's three valuable seconds. It didn't cost them as it turned out. They kicked the field goal, by the way, with six seconds to go after a penalty, which pushed it back five yards further. But I liked how aggressive they were at the end of the first half, despite losing three seconds by not acting quickly enough to call a timeout um, with 21 seconds to go. All right, the list of things that I didn't like. Uh, You start with just their overall defensive day. Uh, They were excellent against the run, but they were horrendous against the pass. And, yes, there is some consideration given to the fact that that is Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard, et cetera, Uh, and, you know, arguably the best offensive line in football. I understand that, but there have been now – too many games this year um, where there are chunk plays, just too many big plays, too many miscommunications, too much of coverage not tied to rush and vice versa. You know, too many people open. Um, yeah, there are also incredible plays made by A.J. Brown. But that will happen more often if you put a manual Forbes on him two or three times. That's ridiculous. I don't care what kind of help, you know, Quan Martin's coming over to give. I thought he took a terrible angle on that touchdown uh, pass as well. But they're just too many big plays. You know, you, you start off, it's a second five, and A.J. Brown's over the middle wide open against St. Juice for 12 yards. You know, the drive in which they fumbled, uh, you know, in the red zone with Gainwell. There's a 24-yarder to, to Brown. There's another 10-yarder to Goddard. There's a 13-yarder to Brown. There's a 20-yarder that was, you know, in front of Forbes down to the three-yard line uh, to Brown. Um, the touchdown drive that made it 14-10. to 10. There's an 18-yarder to De- Devontae Smith, a 16-yard touchdown pass. Look, that's a great catch by A.J. Brown. Okay, St. Juice to me actually is one of my favorite players on the team. He's at least there more often than not. Um, you know, to start the third quarter, there's, you know, there's another 17-yarder on a third and five. I mean, where the hell is Mayo? I mean, where is our third and five, you know, gain well on a, on a quick just over-the-middle check down that he, he takes not for, you know, barely moving the chains. It's a 17-yard gain. Um, you know, you, on the touchdown drive that made it 17-17, to 17, you had a 17-yarder to Devontae Smith. And then, of course, the 25-yard touchdown pass to A.J. Brown. The miscommunication on the Devontae Smith 38-yarder. But on that drive, there was another 17-yarder to A.J. Brown, a 16-yarder to Dallas Goddard on a little bootleg. It was just a train wreck. 
of pass defense and just some head-scratching decisions to have Emmanuel Forbes out there anywhere near where A.J. Brown was. You know, again, good job against the run. Uh, I thought Fuller and I thought Curl and I thought St. Juice at times were okay, but it just isn't good enough. It's the biggest disappointment through eight games for me, clearly. I thought that this was a defense coming off a top 10 defensive year last year by almost any metric that had a chance to be as good, if not better. And I was hoping for it because I didn't know what to expect from the offense. Because to me, it was a complete and utter mystery as to what we were going to get with Sam Howell. You know, we've had weird games, right? Opening game, defense great, offense terrible. Week two, defense terrible early, great the rest of the way, but the offense good throughout. Week three, the offense an utter disaster. Week four, offense great, defense bad. Against the Bears, everything was bad. Against the Falcons, the defense comes up with the big plays. The offense goes dormant after, you know, kind of early in the game. Um, Last week against the Giants, the defense wasn't great, but the offense was was horrendous. Yesterday, the offense is great. The defense gives up 38. It could have been a lot more. I mean, they had two turnovers inside Washington's five-yard line, including a brotherly shove fumble. Who knows what we're going to get next week? Uh, the no challenge on the Devontae Smith catch, you know, uh, Emmanuel Forbes and Devontae Smith's not no challenge on that fourth down are at the top of the list of things I didn't like. You, you just, it's so easy, I know, for, you know, people like me and all of you as fans to say, what are you doing? Throw the flag. That just, to me, was a moment where as the head coach, you basically tell everybody, Okay, I'm not hearing from any of you. I think I saw what I saw, and it's too big of a moment. If we lose the timeout, we lose the timeout. So be it. Um, Drop passes were a problem in this game. You know, Sam would have had a bigger day, but some of those drop passes weren't great throws either. And, of course, the two Terry McLaurin drops. Again, you know, we've already gone over it, but I think think he's got to make both of those catches. But I also acknowledge neither pass was a great throw, especially the, the the fourth down throw where he is wide open and he's sitting down. You got to be able to make that easier for him to catch. Um, the uh, the third down defense was terrible. Uh, continuing with the defense, eight of thirteen they allowed. There were key penalties in this game uh, that hurt again. And offensively, they had you know three fourth downs and they were zero for all three of them. You know, so you had. Three drives end on downs. You had the fourth and one in the first half. You had the um, the, the fourth and, and eight that Terry McLaurin couldn't come up with. And then you had the fourth and five from their own 25. By the way, those su- suggesting to me that you could have punted in that situation down 31-24, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, are, Do you have any confidence? I know the defense had forced a three and out on the previous drive. I think they had two timeouts left in that particular spot. Um, maybe one timeout. You know, fourth and five, you got to go for it. I know it's a seven point game. It's easier if it's a four point or less game, and, you know, the field goal is going to make it seven um, if you get a, get a stop there. But I had no confidence at that point that they'd be able to get uh, Philly off the field. And again, if it's fourth and 15 with 213 to go, different, I think. 
Um, remember, Rivera lost the second timeout. They had one timeout left because he lost it on the challenge on the Dotson play. Um, that was some shenanigans there. I mean, complete. Oh, no, nope, New York called down. And Nikki Javala was the pool reporter with Walt Anderson, the head of officiating. And he basically said they got direction from New York that that was a ball that was incomplete. So what did Ron do? He challenged that one after New York told the referee on the field that it was an incomplete pass. He challenges that one, but he doesn't challenge the fourth and four in the third quarter, up seven with a chance to take over at midfield. That play, big play in the game, that not, that non-challenge. Because with the way they were rolling offensively, imagine you take a 24-10 to 10 or a 20-10 to 10 lead into the fourth quarter of that game. You may not win it, but you're not going to be down 14 at the end. Um, so... Yeah, 0 for 3 on fourth down as well in that game. Uh, all right, a few other quick observations. It was just great to see Tressway have kind of a day off. He had two punts versus 10 last week. Um, it's really also important occasionally that you, as a big fan of this team, also recognize the opponent and how good the opponent is. Jalen Hurts was incredible yesterday. A.J. Brown was otherworldly in the game yesterday. These are two really good players. Brown is a legitimate MVP candidate. And I had mentioned going into the game on Friday that one of the keys was I'd pressure Hurts a little bit, and they did. They couldn't get to him. The, you know, the pass defense, by the way, when I mentioned it, it's not only coverage, it's they didn't get any rush. And if they did get rushed, they didn't get to him because Hertz was elusive, much more elusive than he looked the last few weeks. They're really, they're well coached. They've got really good players. You know, you could say that Philadelphia's roster, one through 53, might be the best in the league. And they were outstanding in the game. Um, the other observations, I had one or two others. Uh, um, the brotherly shove wrinkle where they scored was swift. Um, I think I may have mentioned it to Tommy or maybe I mentioned it to Denton on the radio show. I said they're going to run something off that at some point. Um, you know, they got stopped. They fumbled. I mean, that was more of a Hertz fumble. And then they run swift on the fake brotherly shove. Uh, oh, there was... Um, this is how good the offense was yesterday. Okay, this this was uh, Washington's third drive of the first half. All right, they scored a touchdown in this drive. The penalty call on Logan Thomas for a block below the waist that was a bad call because it was right there at the line of scrimmage, and and uh and it was 15 yards. It went from a Brian Robinson Jr. 10 yard run first and goal at the five to first and 25 at the 30. And Hal hits Samuel quickly for nine yards and then hits Dotson. Dotson, he can run some routes, people. He is a route runner, that's for sure. I don't want to get carried away because he's not had a good year. He joined the season yesterday. Uh, but that's, that's good stuff when you can overcome what I thought was a bad call in a first and 25 situation, you know, after you were first and goal at the five. Should have been first and goal at the five, and yet they still – Stuck it in there for a touchdown. New England's up next. Don't think New England's winnable, please. Like, they're they're three-point underdogs. The Patriots have played much better 
recently. They beat the Bills last week. It was 24-17 with the Dolphins in the fourth quarter yesterday. They'll be ready, be a tough game Sunday. Um, but at 3-5, and five, let's face it, um, the future needs to be considered. I'll finish with that uh, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Cowboys bring pressure. Stafford sees it. Fires one. Intercepted. It's another pick six. Deron Bland has his third of the year. That was Dallas's fourth defensive touchdown in seven games. They've got a special teams touchdown as well. Maybe two. Uh, but four defensive touchdowns in seven games. Pretty damn impressive. Deron Bland with a pick six. And the Cowboys rolled to a 43-20 win over the Rams to improve to 5-2. and two. The Rams were a smell test pick. Didn't work out so well. Uh, but I had the Broncos yesterday as well. So the smell test, 3-2 and two, with the Raiders plus 7.5 pending this evening. Uh, this final segment of the show brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC for a cash bonus on your initial uh, deposit. The World Series Game 3 tonight back in there, back in Arizona in a 1-1 series. Uh, the money line on the game tonight, the Rangers are minus 115 favorites tonight. And looking ahead... Looking ahead to Sunday, MyBookie has the Patriots as a three-point favorite over Washington. MyBookie.ag, promo code KevinDC. So, I'll talk a little bit about the rest of the league, but tomorrow at 4 p.m., trade deadline. And this is a different trade deadline for this organization. We're just at a different spot than we've been at in a long time in that You know, this is not a season that is all about the present. And it hasn't been that way really from the start. You know, this season started with a new ownership group taking over. Dan's gone. The excitement of that. And by the way, let's not let that die out so soon because they're 3-5. and The biggest win of this season is still getting our team back from the man that held it hostage for nearly a quarter of a century. We now have a chance. We don't have to suspend reality in talking about this team. There's going to be a chance, and there's going to be, you know, let's face it, there's going to be a complete regime change uh, at the end of this year. Um, In a normal year, you know, uh, for a normal franchise, we haven't had many of those, um, you'd be focused on, or I would be, I'd say, look, pretty impressive effort team that you know they went down to the wire twice with they're probably the best team in the NFC they could have easily won both games they're three and five uh the NFC is wide open for that seven spot I mean it certainly looks like you know the Eagles Cowboys Lions now now that Kirk's gone for the year with the torn Achilles uh 
somebody in the NFC South, and then either Seattle or Seattle or San Francisco will win the West, and then the second place team in the West, even though the 49ers have lost three in a row, probably will grab that you know five or six seed with the Cowboys or the Eagles being the other of those first two wild card teams, and then it's wide open. Washington right now, right now at three and five, is one game out of the seven seed. The seven seed right now is Minnesota at four and four, but they just lost their starting quarterback who was playing at a ridiculously high level. And so, you know, you've got a shot. You know, the two teams, the, the, the three teams directly in front of them before Minnesota, and if you assume with Kirk out, Minnesota's got no chance, and it depends. Maybe they get active here at the trade deadline and try to make a move for Jacoby Brissett, or you know, maybe they sign Colt McCoy. I don't know what they're going to do. Um, but the Saints and the Bucks are 8-9, but one of those teams is going to win a division, and the Rams are 3-5 and five and really starting to fall apart. Washington has had moments this season where you watch them and you're like, that team could win nine games. But back to reality here. That's not what we're talking about because this year isn't, you know, that kind of a year. We're not focused on the present. We're focused on the future. You know, we're not in the Bruce Allen, we're close mode. Um, We're waiting. We're waiting for Ron Rivera and his staff and many of the people that have been here with him for three and a half years to leave. You know, even if they had won yesterday and they were four and four, many of you still care more about them leaving than anything else. They are as good as gone when the season ends, you know, if not earlier. Um, And so that brings us to this trade deadline situation. You know, the trade deadline situation is interesting because this should be a moment in which the owner looks at the people who are in charge and says, do they actually have the future of this organization in mind? Are they really capable of putting aside the likelihood that they won't be here for the future and focus on the future. This is not meddling if Josh Harris gets in there with a consultant or with an advisor and says, look, these these are the things I'd like you to do. You know, or this is what I want to have a conversation about. I would assume the conversations have taken place. I can't imagine they're letting Ron and Martin and Marty do whatever they want here at the trade deadline. You know, they've got to be focused on the future. This is not a present conversation anymore, no matter how close they are to the seventh seed. We all understand where this thing ends. And by the way, you know, Ron can make the pitch to Josh if Josh hasn't been paying attention. Mitch Rails probably has. Hey, man, we just took the best team in the league, certainly the best team in the NFC, to the brink for the second time in the last four games. We've got a quarterback that is ascending. Did you see the numbers he put up yesterday? We totally shut down one of the best rushing offenses. We had some communication issues. We're getting there on defense, though. I mean, after all, they've got A.J. Brown. they got Jalen Hurts. They're good. Um, This is the first big test, I think, for Josh Harris football-wise. I do. Some inside the building might try to sell them on, hey, let's stay the course here. We can, we can win six out of our last nine games and get to nine and eight and get a seven seed. And with the way we're capable of playing, you saw it against Philadelphia twice, you know, we could be a problem for somebody in January. 
I'm not saying I buy it. I'm not buying it. You're not buying it. But who knows? I mean, I think it's real simple. Josh Harris can encourage the continued effort to win games. You know, he can encourage Ron Rivera and his staff and the players to make the best run they can make. And by the way, we know it's coming. There's one thing that we know about Ron Rivera's teams here. Okay? They've been at three and five, they've been at two and six, they've been at two and six, and they don't cave. They don't roll over. They don't quit on Ron. They don't quit on Jack. There's some good football coming, more likely than that not. No matter who they trade, they're going to beat somebody. They're going to win some games. It's what they've done. But we know what the end game is. The end game is probably no playoffs, a very disappointing crushing loss at the end with probably a major you know, decision gaffe by the head coach. He's gone. But we know that you know there's probably – is it going to surprise you if they beat New England and then go to Seattle and they they got a chance to win there? I don't know, maybe. I, the point is, it's t- Josh Harris can encourage all of that, okay? But he has a responsibility now as the owner of this team that to recognize that this is a moment here, today and tomorrow, where you've got a lot of players who are on expiring contracts that You've got to figure out whether it's with an advisor or a consultant that isn't Ron or Marty or Martin or in conjunction with who are we really, who, who is the next regime going to want to keep and who is the next regime going to wish we had traded and gotten something back for him right now. That may be hard, but those are the conversations you got to have. It's big boy time with Josh Harrison, with Ron Rivera. Hey, Ron, season's not going well. You are one quality person. I respect the hell out of you. I think you have done a, a phenomenal job with the culture of these uh, of this locker room. You have so many incredibly fine young men that play for you and respect you. But I just paid $6 billion for the team, and I'm not firing you now. And there's still a chance you could turn this around. But I will be here. I'm not leaving. And there is a chance that you and the others won't be here. And there's this window of an opportunity to create, you know, actual, real assets for the organization's future. And we need to take advantage of those if they exist. We'll see what happens. Um, I did not like the reporting over the weekend. I was not thrilled with the reporting over the weekend that came from... I'm pretty sure it was Adam Schefter, that Washington was going to make the the decision on whether or not to be sellers at the deadline based on the result yesterday in the game. If they lost, meaning they would you know look to trade players, and if they won, they wouldn't. First of all, we can debate whether or not that is you know a healthy way to look at it. But allowing that in that information to get out there, like, hey, everybody, we aren't going to make a move now, but if we lose, it's a 50% off everything sale. It's a clearance sale. Come and buy everything at discount. That just reeks a little bit too much of, you know, the way it used to be. I'm pretty sure Josh Allen isn't Josh Allen. Josh Harris probably wouldn't want, you know, any sort of negotiating leverage impacted by a leak. Um, and maybe it doesn't really hurt. Bottom line is, you know, they're going to accept what they're going to accept. I, 
My feeling is that if you get something of note, meaning a day one or a day two pick for one of the players that you think is it's going to be hard to re-sign or that you don't want to re-sign or you don't think the new regime is going to want to re-sign, you take it at this point. If it's a day three pick, I'm really not interested unless it's for, you know, a player that isn't contributing anything and you know won't be here next year. Like Jacoby Brissett is not going to be here next year. I think it's becoming kind of clear that Antonio Gibson isn't going to be here next year. So if somebody's willing to give you a day three pick for one of those players, take it. But for Sweat, for Young, I need something meaningful. And again, the Leonard Williams thing um, in, in, the, in the Seattle deal, Leonard Williams to Seattle, I've got a pretty good source that tells me Seattle first reached out to Washington about John Allen. And I would imagine that, that you know, given that Allen's under contract and Williams isn't, that the deal was probably for a second and maybe a third, second and a fourth rather than second and fifth that the Giants got for Leonard Williams. That would be my guess. Uh, yesterday, wild day, man, in the NFL again. I mean, you had the 49ers losing a third straight game after being, you know, hailed as the best team in the league. You had Denver knocking off Kansas City. And by the way, here's Denver, a team that gave up 70 a month ago, and then the Chiefs can only score nine against them. Um, you know, you had, uh, obviously the injury to Kirk Cousins, devastating because Minnesota, Won their third in a row. They were rolling. He was lights out yesterday as he was on Monday night. They were going to get Jefferson back in a few weeks, and I think they would have been the one team, had Kirk not gotten hurt, that you would have said, look out. They've got a chance to be a factor in the NFC just because they are defensively, for the first time in a few years, more than competent. Um, Taylor Heineke got an opportunity in Atlanta to play for Desmond Ritter. Played pretty well from what I understand. Uh, the Saints scored points. They've struggled so uh, so long to score points, and they put up 38 against the Colts on the road. How about the Jets-Giants game? Have you seen that box score? Uh, Tyrod Taylor got hurt. They threw for, literally, this is not an exaggeration, they threw for seven yards gross, negative nine in total. All right? T- Tyrod Taylor, four of seven for eight yards. Tommy DeVito, two of seven for minus one. Saquon Barkley rushed for 128. They rushed for 203 yards. And they had a fourth and one late. They decided to kick a field goal. And Graham Gano, his name's getting mentioned a lot on the show today, missed a chip shot. And the Jets somehow went down, kicked a game-tying field goal with a very questionable spot of the ball, clock timing, the whole thing. Um, but the Jets, without Aaron Rodgers, four and three. Uh, crazy season in the NFL. Um, I gave out Northwestern Saturday, plus the points against Maryland. I did not think Maryland would lose the game. They did. Tough loss. Those of you talking about firing Mike Loxley, I mean, get your heads straight. They were 5-0. and They're 5-3. and They'll likely figure out a way to get another win and a bowl uh, victory. Do you know how bad this program was just a few years ago? how completely irrelevant it was. And I understand they're not going to have the kind of year that we were all hoping for at 5-0. and Like, there was a chance they could win 10 games this year, you know, had they beaten Illinois, beaten Northwestern, but they didn't, especially after they played Ohio State pretty tough for, you know, three quarters. And now it's Penn State, Nebraska, Michigan, and Rutgers. they got to find another one here. But, um, yeah, tough, tough loss to Northwestern. Defensively against – 
a team that just hasn't done a lot, you know, to give up a hundred, you know, two hundred and seventy-five yards to Brendan Sullivan on just sixteen completions through the air, uh, and then you know, two big turnovers by the quarterback again. Um, so tough when they get Penn State this weekend. Uh, done for the day. Back tomorrow with Tommy.